bottle of Henny, fattest blunt you could think of. The harder I partied, the better I played. Run a motherfucker over. I'm fucking laying it on his and I'll literally die for this shit. Got an IV and just fucking started going ham. Those Oklahoma fans weren't saying shit, but then almost got in a full team brawl over like $40 bottle of Hennessy. I thought I was gonna sign in Kansas City the same year that Mahomes got drafted. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really him. Talking my shit like. really him, oh God. Walk up in his light. I'm like, what the f He's like, yeah, you're going to Montreal. Like, it was like the worst team in the league, worst run team in the league, and shit me off. Dipped. I was out. And then I got to Montreal and I saw like the really bad side of the Canadian Football League, which was like, yeah. I had a, my pay per week was maybe like 20 grand or like 30 grand a week. And it was dependent on like snaps. So they would like average out how many snaps they would normally have in a game. If it was like 60, yeah. they'd play me for like 28 snaps and then take me out of the game and put somebody else in. No so so they'd only have to pay me like $15,000 less. So they're literally like yeah, penny pinching throughout the entire league. So like I had no idea what was going on at first when I was there and I was like competitive, wanted to play and like trying to figure this shit out. And back. Yeah, just trying to play, man. I needed reps. Right? Two, bro. three, two years out of the league, living in L.A., running around the Hollywood Hills. And Especially like, at quarterback, bro. I needed reps. And, like, I wasn't getting them in Hamilton, really, because we had Jeremiah Masoli, who was bad. He was cold. 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 He was at Oregon and, and Ole, Ole Miss. Miss. He was yeah. nice. As yeah. So I saw that, like, dirty side of, uh, of the CFL. And then they have your rights. So when you sign in Canada, they own you for two years. So in the... AFL was coming, XFL was coming, and all these other leagues were coming back in the States. So I was like, I got to get the f out of here. Keep the dollar to the dollar because you lose half that when you come over from Canada, right? I'm, losing, I'm getting taxed 50% and then losing 27% on the exchange rate. So when I got back to LA, I didn't, I didn't make a dollar playing in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I'm already I spent it all at Shaperie at the strip club. And fucking <laughs> Who's the lucky girl that's a real? Dude, they don't have dollar bills there, so they have loonies and toonies, so they're coins. <laughs> just awesome beam. I, I don't remember how it really worked. I guess I just threw fives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just getting cracked. That's wild. Double crack. Bro, that's insane. Uh, Toronto, though, so I immediately go to Drake because I love Drake. Biggest Drake fan. I'm He's a goat, bro. And uh, But draft day, he came out draft day 2014 for you. What was that moment like? Did you know? Did he already toss you it ahead of time? Like, I'm going to have you on the track? For 2012, like 13, 14 years for me and Drake were like different. Because when I first met him, I fly up to Toronto, hang for the whole weekend. And I thought this was like the pinnacle, the highlight of it. Like what it was really, yeah. that's all it was. Amazing. I get to meet this dude. And when I went back to A&M, would, we would talk. He would just FaceTime me. We talked throughout the week, throughout practice, throughout the season. So it like started to develop. You know, he really treated me like a little brother and kind of like took me under his wing and was like trying to help me, you know, every time. And I didn't expect that for what it, you know, what originally was set out to be. So, you know, as the years went on and you get to 2014, I remember being with my old chick at the time. And it's like four in the morning and my phone's just blowing up. And of course, I'm scared as fuck. <laughs> I'm like throwing, I'm the phone's buzzing. I'm pressing the side of it and throwing it off into the corner. And then finally, I'm like, after like eight FaceTimes in a row, I'm like, all right, I got to pick this up. And then him and Obi, his boy, are in the studio, and I remember them playing it for the first time. And I'm like, half asleep, still 
scared. My girl's sitting there looking at me like, this. Wait, on the edge of the bed? <laughs> Answer it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? I'm like, I was walking the other room. She, I mean, hundred percent. She didn't let me the slide for nothing. <laughs> Hell no. And uh, I just remember hearing the beat for the first time. And then obviously hey, Andrew Wiggins was in it too as well. So like, yeah. you know, as cool as it gets, man, I got to walk out of Radio City Music Hall to my own song playing from Drake. It's not like. That's great. It's just like, what the f are we even talking about? Yeah, so, what simulation is this, bro? Yeah, We've like, seen it all week. It's not even real. I mean, it's when you get to a point where you do some things, like, you know, you get to see a lot of stuff. You've seen a lot of stuff. Oh, you yeah. played for the Raiders. I mean, there's a different life out there. And for me being from a small town in Texas, it doesn't feel like real life. And that's why I am so appreciative of the life that I live and where I'm at because you know, for a long time, I looked at it in a negative mindset and a negative viewpoint because I didn't turn out to be a Hall of Famer in the NFL. Yeah. Which at the end of the day, you know, I think I got to accomplish almost every dream and a football aspect that I ever had for myself in life. Yeah. So, you know, to the majority of people in the majority of the world, it looks like failure. But, you know, as a person that's hard on themselves, you know, when your mindset shifts and you look at it a different way from a different perspective, it's not failure. You know, it's it's a great sense of accomplishment and a great sense of living a dream that just wasn't meant to be. And, you know, we were speaking about this off camera, but like, you know, the NFL is a different business and it is a cutthroat, you know, not for long type of type of thing. And I'm not the first and won't be the last Heisman Trophy winner to go and have their struggles in the NFL. And like yeah. if you don't attack it day after day and really grind, which is what we what I feel like I see in you. You know, yeah. I see that on the field on Sunday or Monday, like, or Thursday, you know, like I see it. And, you know, the guys that you see around the league that are doing that, it's noticeable. Yeah. And then the guys that aren't doing that is also very noticeable in a different right. Yeah, no, that's really, I feel like people don't understand, you know, from the outside perspective, not only the work ethic that comes with it, you were obviously with Joe Thomas, some of the best players in the league. Obviously, y'all had your struggles, but you had some great players over there. Like the require what it really takes to do it every single year and keep climbing. And, you know, it's funny because when I was in college, you know, me and him, like all of us, like we were, you know, locked in on college football. And, you know, I watched guys like Randy Gregory in Nebraska and like, I'm like, I want to be like that. You know what I mean? Like dudes like that, mm -hmm. those are the guys I looked up to. And I know him being a quarterback, you look up to the Johnny Manziels, the Bakers, guys like that. So, like, I, you know, it's funny just kind of pivot a little bit. You know, your confidence, like on the field, you know, is, Everybody got to see it. You know, you, you were 100% yourself out there. And I talk about it all the time. Like, it's the most free feeling when you're at the top of your game and you just go out there and you're balling. Like, you, there's no other feeling. Can't chase that in any other way of life. Like, where did you get that confidence from? And, what like, where do you think that, like, that switch flipped for you when you were in college? You know, I, I was lucky. We were talking about this a minute ago. But Cliff Kingsbury was a guy who, like, rode for me so hard, even before the Heisman season, like, yeah. That spring, I was last on the depth chart. I had no confidence. I didn't have confidence in the ability to, like, throw the football the way I needed to. And, like, in practice, for me, what the best part of my game was was being elusive and making people miss and running. Like, yeah. you can't do that in practice. Like, right. you as a DN, you cry baby defensive players like, like that's fucking like that. wild that's fucking wild I'll let it go uh, but yeah, keep you going. know what I'm talking about <laughs>
you got that you're coming around the edge and of course you need the tackle and you're like oh Every yeah time. you're sitting there like this in oh, practice yeah. like oh yeah so whenever we got into a game like you know it was, it was a different story and like you know kingsbury was a guy who even going through the lowest points even struggling like he saw something in me that was like he had more confidence in me than i had in me yeah and that's any coach or any like you know, person in your life that believes in your vision and what you're doing and what you can be, you need to have by your side. And it's like really true. That's a like, fact. It's such a fact to the point yeah. of like, I didn't believe in myself, but he did. Yeah. And he kept going back and making sure that I was going to get an opportunity to, to shine. And then as our relationship developed throughout that season, it was just like a, a perfect mesh. Yeah. I mean, I, I see you guys right now with like the coach, you, the coach you guys have here on the Raiders. Yeah. Like, stood on the table and we're like listen some things are going to get really out of hand if he's not here because he makes us tick he makes us whole and can bring us to where we want to go so there's something to be said about having a mentor having somebody that believes in you wholeheartedly yeah no i totally agree that was rob marinelli for me yeah i mean my after my second season bro mentally i was like every single day i was like am i not gonna be able to do this like how i want to every day but he that his level of confidence he had in me was like out of this world. And that is all I needed. Like every day having him, if I, I don't even know what it would feel like or look like if I didn't have that dude in my corner, especially in that time. Like you're going to have ups and downs all the time. Yeah, that's something that people don't talk about a lot because yeah. the people in the NFL with the ego and everything that people have, they don't talk about the point that you get to. And mostly everybody has had this yeah. where you question yourself and don't know if you're good enough to continue doing this. It's not a, for most guys, it's not just a rookie year all the way to 10 years and just, like, smooth sailing. Yeah. Like, it usually doesn't happen that way. And yeah, no, it's fine. Everybody gets their confidence trashed. Everybody gets down in the dumps. Like, it's a part of life. It's a way of life, you yeah. know, a natural a natural thing that happens. So to have somebody like that that gets you over that hump, that's what I feel like I didn't have in Cleveland. It was like, you know, I kept getting beat down, beat down, beat down, beat down. And when it got to the point, I was just like this, man. Yeah. This. You need someone to pull you out, bro. You do. Uh-huh. And, and you know, I, I was lucky to have Josh McCown, you know, my second year when I was there, who was a vet. He was, you know, couldn't have been better. Like, I don't give a fuck what anybody has to say about him as a football player, an NFL nothing. Talk about salt of the earth and a guy who, like, man, really clicked and made an impact on my life for sure. It just, yeah. you know, Cleveland's tough, man. It was, it was a tough time to be playing for that team. And I think anybody that was on those teams would, would say the same thing. It was, it was a weird vibe. Yeah. What do you think like was the biggest factor in Cleveland that, that you struggle with like the front office or the social media? Or, like, does uh, it make but, sure? I mean, more than anything, it was a, you know, point of self-destruction. Like it was all internal, like, yeah. you know, is, is weird as the organization was at that point in time, like my struggles were not, directly related to them Um, did it all play into a perfect storm and a mixture to where it went the way it did sure we're we have ticket sales next to our coaches offices so we're going over meetings for a a game and they're ringing a bell selling season tickets outside like (laughs) you walk by and you're like taking pictures with people who are like marketing people in the building like football is football 
yeah. business on the other side and what you do is completely related. Yeah. And if you need to get the guys on the football side to deal with them, you do it in the proper time and the proper place. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. all go together. So that's one thing at the time that was like just backwards. And yeah. if, you're, if you haven't been to an organization that's run the right way, how do you know any better? Like you, you, you really don't. Like this is what I thought was, was the norm. Did you go anywhere after? I should know this, but did you go anywhere after Cleveland as far as NFL goes? No workouts? People bring you in? <clears throat> yeah, I went and had a really good relationship with Sean Payton, but it was towards the end of Breeze's career, and I think it was more of like a, you know, this isn't kind of going to work out. I really thought it was going to. And then um, funny story I haven't told very many people is I thought I was going to sign in Kansas City the same year that Mahomes got drafted. So I think if they wouldn't have taken a quarterback, which thank God they did, I mean, yeah. I think I could have ended up there. Andy Reid has a really, really good long history of being able to help people. And, like, yeah. he saw something to me as well. So I took a couple, like, meetings there and flew up to Kansas City and, you know, kicked the tires on it. And it ended up not working out. But, like, you know, I think I had two really good opportunities and situations and, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Like, it took me a while. Like, I really thought I was going to get back. Like, I really had this drive and this mindset that things were going to work out. But, like, the way my NFL career ended was just such a, like, coming to Vegas instead of being there for the last game of the season, putting a wig on, going to the Hakkasan, like, you know, like, and then me on top of that trying to, like, hide it and, like, act like I was in Cleveland, but I'm MGM is just like so bold and like egotistical. It's crazy to think that I was going to get away with that. I remember this dude, I'm playing blackjack and high limit. And I like go, and my hat's all the way down, like fucking the wig's like this, dude. The wig's not even like on yet. At this point, I haven't decided to get the wig yet. So I'm literally sitting there like this. And I even look up to just like this much. And I see this guy and we make eye contact barely. And the second that happened, he pulls his phone out right away. And I'm like, did you hey did you debate on almost like offering to pay him really quick to delete the picture when- no, at that point in time i would have was would have been too cheap like i was living like a i was living like a college kid in cleveland where i just like knew better than to just hand me a million dollars so just like hey i made it like a stipend pretty much is what i did so like the same thing that we got in college it was like 700 bucks a month i just made it like 15k a month instead and like i lived like a college kid yeah, yeah. Who's, whose idea was that Man, that was just like the, the end of the end in Cleveland for me where like, um, you know, I had a coach, um, Jimmy O'Neill, who was our defensive coach, man, called me into his office one day as I'm walking by and he's like, man, if you weren't such a and pulled your head out of your ass, we'd have a chance to win some games. And like, once this happened, I was like, destroyed. Yeah. Like, just like went straight home, went to my basement, bottle of Henny, fattest blunt you could think of and just like played future all day and just sat and played pool and like I wanted nothing to do with football nothing to do with this team and I get a concussion week 16 versus Kansas City and so I'm out week 17 I was hurt week 17 the year before and it was a terrible experience like me and my head coach weren't getting along whatsoever and at this point when this happened I was just like enough is enough like it's like the Rodman thing when you, you heard in the documentary where he's like, this, I am who I am. I need a break. Like for me to work, like I need to do this. And there's no excuses for that because you know, at the end of the day, I let Joe Thomas down. And I let Joe Hayden down. Like I let Connor Shaw and Josh McCown and all these guys 
you know, I let them down by not being there with them. And it's something that like took me a long time to get over. Like, man, it it was all about me from my mindset back then. And it wasn't about the team. It wasn't about everybody else. And that's, you know, a recipe for disaster. So, you know, the wig was just like another thing where it's just like thinking you can get away with everything because you're on top of the world. And like, it's not the reality of how things work. The fact you tried it though is. Oh, yeah, I tried it. I, I would have got away with it. I would have got away with the wig too if it wasn't for uh, a host, just rotten kids. <laughs> um, and I paid with my credit card, so they got me. I should have paid cash. Yeah. Uh, you, you talked about you played with Joe Thomas, Joe Hayden. What was your relationship like with Joe Thomas? He hung off the side of the ball, um, and you know he's a vet and one of the best to ever do it in this game. And I think he's easily one of the best to ever do it in the game, and like. You know, I wouldn't say we have much of a relationship. Like if I saw him or like something, I would say hello to him and he would be like, you know, treat me the way he always has, which is, you know, when I got in the building, he really tried to make an effort to like get me to come to some of these O-line parties and like do some of this stuff for Halloween. And I was just like, just like good on it, like good on everything. I didn't immerse myself in the team. Like I, I just, you know, went back to my condo and just, smoked i just played fifa and like just like you escape bro yeah i just i I was you know i just you guys know how it is in the building and stuff and like i wasn't ready for that grind like that at that time 21 22 like i didn't know even though how many people had told me like this is your job this is what it is here's the schedule for five different teams in the nfl go look at it i'm like yeah yeah of course i got you know but when it happens and you get into it, and you have the OTAs. And as a rookie, you have OTAs, rookie symposium. And then the meetings. The two, three meetings. weeks break, rookie meetings, and then, like, two weeks break, and then you're straight back into a training camp. And then, like, you know, I've said this before, and I've got for it, but, like, I just felt like I never got a break from the NCAA, like, investigation to the next season, to the training for the draft, and, like, yeah. hoping and praying to get drafted in the first round. When in reality, I put too much pressure on myself for getting drafted in the first round. Like, yeah. you know, a quarterback under six foot getting drafted in the first, like wanting to go to, you know, saying I'm going to the draft because I have to feel like in my life I need that to be successful. Like I have to get drafted in the first. I have to be at the draft. When in reality, that, man. Yeah. Like for real. Like I would have rather gone and been on the ranch with my family and just chilling, no cameras, no nothing, and enjoyed it. And, you know, when I got to Cleveland and you have these guys like Joe Thomas and, and things, you know, I really only got close to Joe Hayden mm-hmm. and Joe and his wife, Moo took me in. And if it wasn't for them, I would have been in Cleveland way, way before it actually happened. Like, I don't even think I would have made it a year if it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they never judged. They never did anything. They tried to help steer me in the right direction. They hung out with me, but like I was on one. Like consistently, like yeah. what I thought made me so great at AM was the party too. Yeah. So like I thought I, you know, the harder I partied, the better I played on like Saturday. Like an edge. Yeah. yeah, I just there was what I mean. You go win a Heisman as a as a freshman for the first person ever, and like my weeks were just like benders. Yeah, and then going and balling on Saturday. So <laughs> I really truly thought that I was like this special different kind of human that was just going to get away with this forever and then yeah. you know it catches up to you yeah no bro i could that's so crazy to say that because obviously you know my history everybody knows my history but like when i was in college bro i legitimately felt like that like i didn't drink before games and shit like that but like my 
runs, like that was what I looked forward to more than anything. Like we would get done, we would play a ball state or whatever the you know how the Mac is. Win or lose, we booze. You Win know. or lose, we booze. Like I would hit my boy up like, bro, we're gonna be back at this time. Get this and, this. and like I, that's what I look forward to more than anything. Like even when I was young, like freshman year, sophomore year, like before workouts, it would be out till three a.m. partying it up and be up at six a.m. training, Go. and I'll be out there smiling, laughing, having the best time like, ever, best yeah. time ever. And like that for me, I legitimately in my head, I remember specifically being on the field. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like I'll be able to do this i'm i'm different than everybody like that's how crazy like how, and how lost i was like at that point but i could i could totally relate to that bro, yeah, bro I had, we had a, had a system sounds like you did as well yeah, like full system bro. thursday nights burn it down to the ground friday mornings are walkthrough i'm the only in the walkthrough that's like dead sprint you know handing the ball off in like 20 yards sprints. i'm <laughs> dying out there sweating everything out and <laughs> get on the plane you know not Get to the hotel, a couple hours of meetings, boom, straight back to the room. You play a night game the next day, so you're sleeping yeah. the whole day. It's yeah. boring sitting in the hotel room like that when you play night games. Like, it's Chill. brutal. So, like, I felt like this is, you know, it was enough recovery at the time. I didn't know my body enough and, like, what it was. I didn't consider myself a high-level athlete like that at the time. Like, yeah. I was just this short kid out there running my ass off, like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, that's what it was like. But I had the system in place to, like, party and play and party and play. And then, you know, you do that for two, three years, you're not the same as you were when this whole thing first started. Mm-hmm. It just it catches up to everybody. Nobody can get away with it. No. No, that's crazy. So I know you talk about, like, you know, obviously in my time, your time, like, you had you had to fill that, like, void. And it was, you know, smoking, drinking, whatever it was partying, being out on the scene, you know, doing what you do. Like, obviously, nowadays, you're not playing football. You're obviously in a different, you know, realm, doing a lot of different things. Kind of elaborate on, like, what fills your void now? Because you seem like, just seeing your interviews, and, you know, we've talked a couple times just through Instagram and shit like that, and just seeing how you are, like, you seem at peace, and you seem like a, a happy individual. It makes me happy. That's, at the end of the day, like, I'm not sober, bro. Yeah. I'm a piece of shit. Like, that's the first thing that... None of this happens if I'm not clean and getting my mind right. Like, what are you doing nowadays? And uh, just give kind of an yeah. update on that. How long did it take for you to get to that piece, though, too? I mean, a decade. I mean, yeah. really, truly 10 years because I didn't put, you know, enough work in on myself to be able to, like, yeah. you know what it takes, bro. You're doing it. You've done it. And it's not something that you ever get to completely. It's always yeah. like you're this far from the goal, and the goal keeps going, and you go with it. And, Every like, it's, it really is a day-by-day type of piece. So, like... You know, when I was my first year in Cleveland at off season, I went and did three months in a rehab in Pennsylvania and, you know, thought that I was like ready for this to like, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be sober. Like I knew I had still so much more that I wanted to do in life that I thought was important. Yeah. So I knew when I went there that this wasn't like done. Like I wasn't, I hadn't hit that point yet. And, you know, after life goes on and a decade goes by, like, you know, I think I had a mindset where I was like, you know, I could just get away with everything kind of thing. And it like wouldn't catch up and wouldn't catch up to me for the most part. Like I just, this, it's the ego is what it was. So when like I got to the point where I feel like I try and kill that and I learned a lot through the AA and like took a bunch of pieces and advice from people. And like, I would say something I'm working on right now is sobriety ish, right? Like, I think over the last couple of months, I've, I'm not partying the same way that I used to anymore. Like, 
not doing drugs. It's just not like nobody I see that's successful that like is where I want to be is going to a bathroom stall to do anything or like, yeah, Yeah. smoke a little weed. Cool. Like that's to me, that's more medicine than anything else. Like it's something that I, I feel like I need in my life to like make me who I am. It's always been a part of me and it always will be. Um, so right now, like I've cut down drinking, I've I've no drugs like that. Like I've got to a point where I'm just trying to like grow up and you know, my mindset has shifted over the last three, four months. And a lot of that is due to like golf. So I play golf three, four days a week. You know, my life revolves around my boys and my family, Mm. my nieces. So, um, you know, that's the priority of like where I'm at. And then I think it's business, right? Like I had this mindset for the longest time that I was retired. Like I went and played the NFL. What do you do now? I'm like, I don't fucking do anything. But how do you tell somebody that? It's not like the greatest conversation starter when they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, nothing. (laughs) Chilling. And then you speak to somebody who's like a real businessman. He's like, you're chilling? (laughs) What are you you talking about? You're a joke. I'm like, "Eh, whatever, bro. So, you know, I think I'm I'm trying to start doing some stuff at Texas A&M. I want to be around that program. Got a couple bars in College Station that, you know, I'm trying to immerse myself back into College Station in a place that made me who I was. So in Scottsdale, in Texas, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth. And then, you know, my main thing right now is how can I be organically myself while also moving forward in a positive direction? Yeah. I have to keep these pieces of me that make me who I am. Absolutely. That have Absolutely. me sitting on this couch with you and the reason we're able to talk the way yeah. that we are. So you know, a complete shift of that I can't have. Like a complete 180 is going to make me. It makes you feel like fraudulent. I can't, I can't like fraudulent. do the square. Or I can't do the square. I can't no. do the fake. No. Like, it's just like makes me sick to my stomach. I was just going to ask you like part of, I'm not Johnny Football, but I understand like coming from being the guy from wherever you play college ball at and then you get set back to being like, you're a freshman all over again when you're a rookie. No one ever preps you for that. So mentally, confidence, everything that we hit on, like, it's a tough pill to swallow. And I think when you're trying to evolve and grow as a person, it's tough because if you're like, you got a little shit about you, like we all do, like swaggy or whatever, but you're like, eh, I'm growing up. I kind of feel corny. I don't want to be corny or lame. So then you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to peel back and show everyone that I'm not a cornball. I can still drink. I can still hit the blunt. I can do whatever. But I feel like it's like a finding that right mixture is hard. It, it is. It's really hard. And there's either, you know, for some people, the way it goes, like it's a, either a complete cutoff and a complete stop. But like, you know, I'm not going out blacking out being an anymore. Like, I'm not drinking like that. And like, I can go out and have a couple shots with my friends and like, chill. Yeah. Like, I am have this energy and vibe about me right now in life where I'm just like, I'm not like sleeping in all day anymore. I'm not feeling lazy. Like, I'm getting back in the gym. I'm doing things that like, so I see where my life is going. Like, I see how I feel and know myself really, really well to the point that I know what I'm doing right now is working. And there's a couple things that I'll fine tune and like dial in. But like, you know, I'm working on my mental health. I'm working on my drinking and like sobriety ish. I'm working on things in life that I think are going to allow me to be myself um, while still being better. And like, that's what it's all about. That day by day, brick by brick mentality is like the last eight, 10 days, 12 days, 14 days I've had in a row or like I got 1% better every day. Yeah. Whether it was business or this or life or the way I'm talking to people or communicating with my team or like little things, you know, how my mindset is when I wake up in the morning. Everybody has days in the morning where they wake up and they're like, 
this is going to be one of them days I'm going to have to grind through. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like aware of it. And before I would know it and then just continue on about my day. Now it's like, all right, I need to put some more focus into today because it's going to naturally be tough. Yeah. No, I love that, bro. And it's, it's crazy because I feel that a hundred percent, like, especially when I first got sober, I'm like, how the am I going to even operate? Like, how am I going to be around people? Like I'm so used to socializing. All right. Me and the boys are drinking, having fun, hitting the black and mild. Like, how the am I even going to live and like, just be who I am? Cause I like, I'm still me at the end of the day. That's the thing. I've been sober almost four years, but like y'all know, like I'm still me. And that's what I realized over the time being sober. Like I don't have to, like you talk about the 180. Like I don't have to try to be like, Hey, I'm Max. Be something I'm not like I'm a hundred percent myself, but I've had to learn. It's taken time and like years to get like, to build myself as a human being and like have confidence to go up and have a normal conversation. Like, if I wasn't drinking back then, like I don't even I didn't even know how to walk up to somebody yeah. and be like, yo, I'm Max, what up? Like I avoided all those conversations. But now it's like it's crazy like that you you can fully build and grow yourself and it takes years and years and years to do it, but you don't have to change and be something you're not. Like and I think that's super important because I think when people think about like cleaning up your life and I love that you're real about it, you're like, Yeah, I'm not hundred percent sober, I still have a couple of drinks and do my shit. I know it's gonna come to that. Yeah. I know one day like I'm gonna be like look myself in the I'm mirror done. and be like <laughs> yeah. you done yet yeah and like yeah that'll come and right, real, and right now i'm like yeah. when i say i'm dialing it in like i know that when that goes it's gonna go all the way off it's just like turning the music down like it's just slowly yeah. getting to where there's no decibels anymore yeah. and i'm cool with that That's i knew fine. that a long time ago I and mean, yeah. there was a fear of mine sitting in that rehab years ago where i'm like i really gotta live the rest of my life like this <laughs> sober the first thought bro. yeah and it's a, it's a terrifying thing but yeah. like you know, there's a lot of great lessons in AA. There's a lot of great lessons in recovery and this and that that, like, are truly little small things that may sound cliche or, like, be a little square or whatever it is. But, like, it's all meaningful. And, like, the little details of your life and what you don't think really truly matters does. Yeah. How did your family and everybody take it? Because I remember this day I was in the XFL. We were talking about that. But, like, I was standing in my locker getting ready to run out to practice. And this dude texts me like um, a page, like I'm going into rehab, like I have to blah, blah, blah. And I know he had a lot of support for you. Like what was the support like when you had to check in? Because for some people, like your boys and stuff, they're probably like, man, this is Johnny. Like I'm used to going out and getting the tables. Like we're about to be on the tonight. I mean, that's true. Like did you have that same support from your people around you or do you have to start weeding people out and make that circle even smaller? You know, I was so loyal and, and always have been at that point that it didn't matter what people said. My boys and day ones from, you know, high school that were with me and coming up and my boys from college and stuff, they weren't going anywhere just because I was going to rehab. Like I wasn't going to allow it. Like at that point in time, like this wasn't going to happen. I don't give a you have to say, you have to say, or you have to say, this is not your you guys are all around here and doing what you're doing because of me. I know you're trying to help, but I'm at the point right now where I'm 22 years old and I don't see what's really happening. Yeah. I don't see the opportunity. I'm like mm-hmm. blinded and filled with to where I can't see all the good going around outside of like, you know, my direct vision. And it was like, you know, I had support. You know, my family was there. Like they came and visited me. We did a whole you know, week long thing that where they come up and when you like work on your trauma and you work on your stuff of like, you know, a lot of the recovery stuff is about identifying and finding kind of what went wrong and what you felt like, 
you know, where you were harmed in life or things you didn't know or making you react in certain kind of ways. And like, yeah. as a kid, you don't necessarily like know, you see what's going on around you, but you don't know the meaning type, meaning behind it kind of thing. So yeah. like things with family and this and that. So like the support system, family, all that was amazing. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you. And like nice. when, when I got out of the league, everybody tried to save me. You know, I, I had everybody from like, you know, Chris Heron, any single guy in recovery from across the world, just trying to reach out. And I'm just double birds to everybody. And that's yeah. like, all right, you have to let this kid go and you have to let him do what he wants and just pray that he makes it through. Yeah. And like, that's what it is. Like, until you're ready to change, until you want to make the steps and to make yourself better, yeah. it's not going to happen. Like, nobody can want it for you. And that's what they all used to say back in the day. We can't do this for you or we. <laughs> would yeah that's how much we care we would that line you just said where you're not going to change unless you want to right you said it's been a decade for you to find your peace your happiness was there like one defining moment where you're like i'm sick of living like this and it was the proponent to your change man to be honest i started doing this ketamine therapy really and it's really like you know the way i've been you know it's been described to me is you know, repairing of the brain, like rewiring my brain to a way where I'm going to therapy and this stuff. And like, it's been a real game changer for my mental to bring me to peace. And like, I think it's been like, you know, there was a couple little things that were like lingering around in my life that I like truly wasn't over. You know, I was not over the situation in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I had hate in my heart. I had, I was just mad, you know, mad at myself, mad at them, mad at everybody. And when I finally got to the point where, like, I let that go, like, I remember going on Instagram when they lost 16 games and, like, trolling the shit out of them, bro. Like, <laughs> trolling so hard. I Jumping was so that lake, happy. Hugh. And what a, what, a, like, what a shallow way to be happy about somebody else's, like, downfall. Hell yeah, I, yeah. Why, why would you ever want that? Like, I, went, I didn't like the people who wished that upon me. Yeah. So why am I giving that same kind of energy back to the world? And, like... I think when I finally just like let things go from like anger, like emotional type of, you know, standpoint, I started to get more free. And then from there, another step was just like rigorous honesty, man. Like it's so easy to go through life when you're not fully and you're not lying. And like what comes out of my mouth is what I truly believe. My opinion may differ from yours or you may take my words and take them out of context or something. Or maybe that's the way you see them. Everybody interprets words in different ways or meaning. Like that's why you have your tone behind it or like gestures or whatever it is. There's a bunch of things that go into one. So like, you know, all these things have kind of pieced together. And I got to a really good place a couple of years ago and golf was like keeping me going. But it was still like kind of like the football thing again where it was party, party, party all night, wake up, hit the golf course, and then the golf course in Arizona is a party. So it's like, you know, now it's just a constant bender kind of thing. And then I went through a lull the last two years where, you know, I haven't been myself. You know, I got into a bad relationship and, like, shifted all my focus from myself to this. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you're going to naturally deteriorate a little bit. So, you know, finally I cut that off and got a chance to just, like, I'm going to be selfish about my health, myself and my brain like man it's no fun being in your head with all these thoughts ping-ponging around every day and if a lot of them are you know negative so i'm in a 
know, positive, uplifting place. I want to give off a good aura about myself that's like suffocating in a way of just like, yo, I like your vibe. That's what I want to give off. Like, I want to be polite. I want to be nice. I want to treat people the way that I would want to be treated. And all this sounds cliche, but it's very simple. I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. And a lot of like the things that we do to try and be better in life are are that. They're simple if you yeah. may, if you allow them to be. Yeah, 100%. So what's like the biggest spot in your life now that you want to like goal-wise? Is there a tangible goal that you want other than just pure happiness? I mean, that's been, that's been the goal. Like what I've told people, like, you know, that's what I'm chasing. But like that comes in a different, a lot of different ways. So like mm-hmm. it's business, it's family, it's like, you know, friends. But yeah, of course. So like, you know, I think it's just like as a whole, continue to take this day by day approach and like, yeah, I have goals. But like, those are something that like you focus on. I'm taking my vision from like out here to like, dead straight down the center and if anything doesn't align with that line and it's on this or this side it's just gone yeah and like i'm i'm working on that people are going to find out that are around my life right now that like this is for real and this is different and you either come correctly and proper about it or i'm going to get on your and that's not because i'm rude it's not because of anything like this you are jeopardizing my ability to be the person that i want to be in life and if you come in the way of where i want to go now i'm going to stomp you and that's not like in a physical way it's in a way where i'm going to be very nice and you're cut yeah right i mean you ain't going to get the text back you're not going to get the same like i've been too nice out here for a long time and i've been ran over and backed up and ran over and backed up and it's like i'm not coming out for blood but i'm going to defend what's mine and come for what i think i deserve yeah i love that bro i literally i was just gonna say i'm like that's i mean every everybody in a place of you know playing nfl high level of success goes through that i mean the last two years i've dealt with i mean more things with my friends family some of my closest people around me like having to look myself in the mirror and be like why am i allowing bad energy around me all the time and i think that's honestly the biggest thing in my life that's made a change this past year was just being like this is my boundary i'm not trying to over anybody i'm not trying to go out for blood like you said but this is what I'm doing. And if you're not aligned or you don't understand, that's perfectly fine. But I'm going this way. This is what I'm chasing. I'm doing this shit every day. And I'm, shit, I'm the most loving dude. Y'all, like, I'll go out of my way and give you the shirt off my back. But, like, if you come in out of, you know, out of nowhere and you're expecting out of me 24-7 or can bring a negative energy and just, like, not fully understanding what I have to go through. And you and people won't understand you. Mm-hmm. They never will. But yeah. it just having that level of respect, I think, is the most important thing and, and creating real boundaries. I think that's the biggest part of my, my journey as well. Just like, this is it. It's black and white. There's no gray area. This is what I'm doing. And, like, we're going to be boys. We're going to work together. We're going to do our Like, this is what I expect from yeah. you. I'm going to come with this. You're going to see that every day. But I need you all to be fully aligned with what I'm doing. And, I think that's super important, bro. Just for your mental, like, because yep. there's so much, so many people want to be boys with Johnny Manziel or have some type of, you know, influence in his life, but are all of them genuine? Absolutely not. And it goes both ways. And it's, yeah, I don't care who you are. You're not going to have a thousand, like, really genuine people around you. No, like, it's And right now, I think I'm building, like, a, I keep calling it a spider web, but, like, I'm creating a spider web of great people yeah. who I know are solid from 
tip of the country anywhere around the world. Like mm-hmm. if I think you're vetted in a sense where I know who you are to your core and like, I know you have good intentions. I know you're, you don't do shady business. Like I know that you treat people the right way. I see how you act to a waiter, I see how you act to a yeah. bathroom attendant. Like yeah. I see everything because yes. people have been looking at me for so long and I have to have my guard up. Yeah. So like, right. I see how you treat people. And if you treat that waiter or that waitress, like you ain't coming back to dinner with me. And it's just like not, it's that's real. just not, it's just real. Like I, I treat everybody the same way from the yeah. CEO to the janitor. And that's what people say all the time. Like yeah. I got love for people. I'm a people person. Yeah. Like anybody that sees me, anybody that sees this, if you come up yeah. to Johnny Manziel and you come with the right energy in the right way and you have a nice person to person conversation, yeah. we're going to have a great time. Yeah. You come up talking some and I'm going to change really quick yeah. for a brief period of time. Yeah. And it ain't, it's not a threat, right? No. It's not like I'm going to, it's not like, you know, most people look at this and they see, they hear that and they're like, oh, what are you going to fight? Yeah. It's like, I ain't fighting. No. I ain't <laughs> fighting nobody. Yeah. What do I got to do? This ain't the UFC, bro. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to roast you and I'm going to go on about my day. Yeah. And then you can take that with as you please. Yeah. So, you know, it's all love. I say that to everybody. Much love, all love. Like, these are words that I use that I truly feel like. It really is. Yeah. I'm just matching the energy that you give me. 100%. I feel that, especially the damage. Like, people don't understand, like, you're damaged. You know, I'm damaged. Like, everybody that's been in that, in, that, in that realm understands, like, when you have somebody, like, you'll give the shirt off your back and then they'll, you've been crossed a million times. You thought. And they'll take that shirt and they'll dude. sell it. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it'll be on eBay by the morning. Like, that hurts more than anything. It's not even about the money or nothing. It's about, like you going out of your way to show genuine love and like care for somebody and them just stab you in the back then happens again and again and then your guard is up all the time and then people you snap one time they're like he's a and be like you have no clue this shit you know you have no idea i was i was for a lot of years man like i I was so like this all the time that like i wasn't even able really to see like i was blind then and now i feel like i have more vision about life and like more vision about how i want to treat people and like the direction I'm going in life and the <clears throat> tangible goals that I have yeah. is better. Like just that. better, like piece by piece. And like, we'll look up in 10 years. If I put effort into my life for 10 years, I feel like I'm going to be on Mars. Like I'm, I'm feel like I'm destined for, for great things. Football was an amazing vessel to get me to this point right now where I'm at in life. And like, at the end of the day, it's just a game. Like as much as you love it and as much as much as like, it makes you whole and who you are. It ain't that serious, man. It is because you want to win. So that's anything that you do in competition. Like Mm -hmm. I treat golf the same way that I treated college football. Yeah. Same way I played on Saturdays is the same way I do on the golf course right now. And like, I don't know any other way. Yeah. Right. That's just just the way I'm I'm ingrained. So like now it's being a competitor into life. Like I'm not sitting up here being a preacher or anything or that. I'm saying my truth for what it is. And like, it's better moving forward better you know creating a better i'm creating the life that i want for myself and no like it's another thing we were talking about earlier you know nobody's going to do it but you and you can make life really simple on yourself or you can make life really hard on yourself and like there ain't no really gray area in that either right people think just because you're a great football player like that you're, it's just going to equate off the field. Like, oh, he's a great football player. He's got to be a great dude. Or he's got to have it. He's got to figure it out on the field. He's got to figure it out off the field. But it's like, no, bro. Yeah, these we, are two we know, we know great football players who are at their core. 
Yeah. 100%. So what's the biggest blessing and curse you think the game of football brought you? I mean, the biggest blessing that I think I ever got is like just friendships that are just so. It's like my relationship with Mike Evans means something to me that like is such a bond and like a brother forever. Like watching him come from nothing and get a chance to walk across that same stage I did. I got drafted with two of my teammates in this first round. Three of us went in the first round, which is players. Yeah, And like the relationships that I have, the coaches, the people that like I truly, truly love and enjoy being around. That is a great gift that the game has given to me. The Heisman Trophy is the coolest thing you could ever have in your life like truly that's right and when i go back to my grandmother's house and i walk in that house just the aura and the like that that thing gives off is like special so like those are two things that just like mean mean the world to me and then like you know what's what's the downside and the downside is the fame and like everybody wants to be famous i wanted to be famous that's why i went and hung out with drake and hung out with lebron and did all this because deep down, when I was this kid from this hillbilly-ass town in Texas, <laughs> I wanted to be famous, yeah. as anybody does. And I didn't think it was ever a reality. Yeah. So when it happens, you're like, this is what it's like. And, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, I wouldn't be, maybe I would be, but I don't think I'd be able to do half the shit that I'm able to do in life, especially over the last 10, 12 years, if it wasn't for the fame. So, like... There's a good side to it, and then there's a lot of the trouble that's coming in my life from it. And it is suffocating, and you know, people will look at this and be like, you know, you, you played football. You get this all the time. You played football. You make millions of dollars. Shut the f*** up, yeah. blah, 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 blah. You have no idea yeah. about what the reality of the situation is. And, like, right. you know, you're sitting at a dinner with your boys. Somebody's coming up, doing this. Like, there's a proper way to treat people. And just because you're on TV or you're on, you know, you play for the Raiders and they feel like they have with the team because they're fans, there is still a way to be respectful about approaching people because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Me and you aren't any different than anybody sitting on this couch other than we're more athletically gifted. (laughs) Like that's really like what it is. Like it's, it's, there's no difference between any of us. And that's the way I view it. So like, from a small hick town, but at least your family, you know, was on an oil. Self-made, baby. Do you feel like the Netflix show? Because I, I mean, I'm, but that's where it finally came out. I felt like to people that that was made up forever. I I was telling everyone too. I'm like, Johnny don't need the money. Like he's whipping a beam around in college. Like you guys are asleep. He's got. They're good. And then it came out. Do you feel like a that Netflix? like series portrayed everything you wanted it to did they miss anything and then two just how insane is that story because yeah, i don't think there was like a want what did i want from the documentary you know yeah, i didn't yeah. want anything you know for me what i got from it was peace of mind and like a weight lifted off your shoulders and yeah. um you know i've been living with that inside my head for 10 years you know 12 years that nobody outside my like inner circle really knew what was like what it was you know maybe 10 15 people maybe some teammates that saw this shit, but like nobody knew and to go be able to like tell that story in the way that i wanted to with like not holding back for the most part and like i didn't church it up you know i i was i kept it a buck and my interactions with people that i have now in life is completely different 
than what it was before the documentary came out. Yeah. Every yeah. day an interaction with somebody before the documentary was, yo, why aren't you playing football? You know, what are you doing nowadays? We need you back in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. Like football, 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 football. So when the doc comes out and I let it be known, the struggles and what I went through in life and how much of a issue football was for me mentally just yeah. to live, you know, people come up to me now and they're like, man, so glad you're here, bro. Keep fighting the good fight. Like, yeah. we love you. Yeah. And that, for me, is like personal affirmation type of shit that you yeah. need in life to continue going forward. And, of course, there's always going to be the occasional dickhead out there that continues to do the same stuff <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Of but, like, of that's anything. Yeah. But now, instead of 99 of those being negative and one being positive, it's almost flipped. flipped. So yeah, now I have you know, 95 exchanges and 95 are great and five may be bad. And I can live with that ratio. Yeah. You know, I can live with the 50-50 ratio. Yeah. But like a 99% chance that somebody's going to come up and talk some shit. For me and where I was the last 10 years, like I was liable to slap somebody. Yeah. And I probably tried. And I feel that. <laughs> I respect it. Me though. too. It's real. I respect it. It's yeah. hard to be Johnny Football you when you're Johnny, not playing yeah. it. It's hard to be Johnny Football when you're not playing it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, speaking of Johnny Football, so just pivot a little bit. I want to talk a little ball. What is like... Because I could tell my personal story. You know, I see everybody says the Bama game. Obviously, I know where I was when I watched that game. Insanity. But my favorite Johnny football game was the Duke game. And honestly, I think it was one of the greatest performances in college football I've ever seen. The way y'all came back and you led the charges. He like jumped out of the pile, bro. He was going nuts. You jumped out of the pile, bro. Crazy bro. Insanity. Yeah. That was my favorite. What was your favorite game or do you think like your best game? I think, I think the year before the Cotton Bowl versus uh, versus Oklahoma was really like really dope for me. My redshirt year we played at Norman. It was like 30 degrees. It was for me. That's just freezing. Freezing. Yeah, I'm, a red, I'm a red yeah, shirt. Freezing. You know, our, our benches are really close to like their first row and those they were so bad they were so rude such a terrible like you know christian michael one of our running backs tears his acl in the game and yeah. c mike tears his acl and everybody behind us is cheering biggest dickhead fan base in the world That's and like fun. it's just like one of those things you'll never forget for the rest of your life like where you were the feeling you had and like i'm not playing i have no you know chance to even you know change the outcome of this game whatsoever yeah so you fast forward to 2012, you know, exactly like a year later, you know, can a freshman win the Heisman? Okay, it happens. Cool. All right, now these reports are coming out that I'm not practicing enough and I'm not doing this and that. And like, so we play Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. They're coming from Norman down. We're coming from College Station up and we meet in Cowboy Stadium, which was like the only place I ever wanted to play a game like yeah. I really could have been done with my football career after that game <laughs> yeah. like, I would have been, been completely I would have been completely cool with it bro could have walked out of Jerry World and just been like I'm retiring they'll be like from college football done Breaking take my Heisman I'm not gonna play anymore I'm fucking done you guys oh, have yeah. fun and like looking back on it like might have worked out <laughs> it might have bro yeah. it might have so like that game going in there like rushing for 225 and like just absolutely on that Oklahoma team that had been like you know they weren't talking that day no you know, yeah. Oklahoma those Oklahoma fans weren't saying then you know that they were cheering for our boy getting hurt the year before they didn't yeah. say they were headed to the exits in the third quarter 
<laughs> start so, the bus. Start Goofy it. Barbecue. So, I mean, between that game and then the Duke game, the Duke game was such a weird, weird vibe, man. And it's because of me. It's my fault. Like, I was the leader of this team with the mm-hmm. Heisman Trophy and, like, with the, like, we're coming back for a natty this 2013 year. Like, yeah. we play Bama the third game of the year. It's number one versus number four. Like, I know we're good enough to go win a national championship. But, like, I'm not present. You know, I'm this famous floating, partying, making money from these autographs. And, like, with all of the things that, like, I was doing that people look at, you know, signing autographs, this is a cool story. The real-life version of it, what's going on in the locker room is, like, deterioration of, like, you know, I know Mike Evans looks at me, uh, uh, like, it will never forget how I was that first year leading by example and doing the right shit for the most part. And then the next year where it's just like not that way whatsoever. And from that, you know, 14 weeks in a college football season, you get to that bowl game by the end of that season, when you have national championship aspirations and you're seven and four and going to play in the Chick-fil-A bowl instead of the orange bowl or something, you know, it was like a clash. There was a clashing point. So like Mm -hmm. our walkthroughs before the game, you know, oh, fuck, I don't even told the story. We almost got in a full team brawl over, like, $40 bottle of Hennessy that didn't get paid back to somebody. That was, like, left on the table in the room. Somebody didn't get it. And, like, I remember it. Locker room, right down the middle. Offense, defense. And it's, like, creeping up on, like, a real throwdown. And this is the day before the game. Damn. So... You know, we get into that game against Duke, and, like, the first half, I think we're down, like, 20. We're down a lot. Like, they score every drive. It's, like, 35-14 or something at half. And they're just, like, cruising. We're, like, not meshing at all. Mike's frustrated. Like, it's a huge, like, frustration of things. And I remember – I haven't told this either. I remember walking off the field at halftime and looking at Jake Spavadol, my offensive coordinator, and we're walking in, and I look at him, and I go – and so I just shut this the fuck down and like just kick it for the second half and like get ready for the draft. And he looked at me like I had three eyes because it was so against who I was and who he knew me to be. Like so focused on the wrong that you can't live in the now. Mm-hmm. You can't live in this moment and what you have in front of you. You're so forward thinking because you're selfish, right? That you can't even be here for these guys. And when he looked at me like that, I went straight to the locker room, got an IV, and I just started going ham. And, like, the only way we're going to get any energy into this game and we're going to have any life is to come out the second half and just run up over, flat. Mm-hmm. And, like, one of the first plays of the second half is, like, a spin out, take it down the sideline. I'm probably a yard out of bounds, and I'm laying it on his yeah. I'm coming. Like, me up. But I got to get something to, like, let these guys know that I'm serious about this and I will literally die for this. Like whatever it takes to win this game. And like, luckily we did. And, you know, the energy that you see in the second half of that game for me is like pure as you're ever going to get. And probably one of my purest moments of my life, just because I was able to like identify what we needed. And like the way my coach, you know, looks at me starts that whole like snowball of greatness. Mm-hmm. And like, I couldn't pull it out of myself until he 
you know, shifted my vision and my focus to where it needed to be. And then from there, I think I did what I was naturally good at. And it's, you know, not about the throws or the this or the that. There's something to be said about being a leader that like in your actions, in the way you carry yourself and the way you walk and the way you talk. And like, you know, that was needed for us at that moment in time. And, you know, to go out and close that out and like, you know, what a great way to end a college football career on. Oh, yeah. Tale of two halves. Oh, Tale of two halves. The game that I think of Tale of two halves is Rice. When you played Rice because you got suspended for the first half, I know exactly where the fuck I was at getting ready to put my shit on to head it to the stadium to play our game, actually. Um, but I just remember that's, you know, this shit. But you, that game to me was one of my favorite games watching just because you had to deal with all that um, I don't even know if you you knew you were getting spent for that half or if it was, like, game time decision. But, like, just seeing you come back, you were still talking to your still being Johnny, but you could just see the love of the game that you had, kind of like the Duke. It was just like, it was pure. You were out there doing what you truly were meant to do, or in that moment, felt like you were meant to do. And that's something that sticks out to me, man, was the Rice game, because you had so much with the autographs going on. Did you get paid? This, that, and the third. Now you're seeing motherfuckers getting paid left and right, NIL. How much money do you think you probably would have racked up if you were... I don't know, maybe like 10 10 million a year if I would have stayed or something, but like, it would have given me me the opportunity to not have to leave. Um, yeah, and I think if I would have stayed in college another year, I would have I would have really hit a point in my life where I would have done something really stupid and got in trouble, and I never would have made it to the NFL. Yeah. Um, so life goes the way that it goes, and you just like live with it. At that point in time, this was the best decision that I could have made. And hey, I wasn't ready. I wasn't grown up enough. I wasn't prepared for what was in front of me. But if I would have stayed, this is that what if game that I played for the last 10 years. Like yeah. now I know what it is. It went this way, accept it and like move on. Acceptance is a huge part of the whole thing too. Oh yeah. So, you know, that game against Rice and the NCAA. <laughs> no, that's a fact, bro. I they came from my neck they and like, bro. thank God that I had my grandpa. <clears throat> like I had such a G where he, I maybe made like X amount from signing autographs, but I guarantee you it was XX amount to get these lawyers to make sure that they didn't suspend me. They wanted to suspend me for a whole year. They wanted to try and like strip my trophy and do all this. So like, luckily, you know, I was able to be in a position with my family to like really help me. And I hired the best people that you could for this stuff. And you know, they didn't, the NCA is in the way they were set up is they don't have to have proof. This isn't like a court of law type no. of deal. This is just like based on their opinion of these jerk offs that come into this room. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here's what's going to happen. And most people, as we know, you know, most guys don't have that opportunity in college. No. Most of these guys like, Fun, you know, no. are coming from nothing. So what yeah. are they going to go, you know, have your, you know, somebody from the school, like if your school cares enough about you to come defend you, like if I would have used A&M's lawyers or any of their people, like I would have been. Yeah. And that's not saying anything bad about the school. It's just about the reality of what the situation was. Yeah. It's not a court of law. It's not, here's the facts, present them. And somebody it's like, we think you did this. So Mm -hmm. we're going to suspend you for a whole year. And we were like, no chance. Yeah. Like you present what it is, we're gonna present exactly what happened and backstories with this. If you guys need receipts, like you know, go to go to this bank account, like see what cash was taken. Like you can there's there's a story for like all of this, and there is a way to present it. And they originally came back and said 
maybe it was like a game and then it got like whittled down to like a half and then of me being the smart that I was at the time, I was like, can it be the second half? We're playing Rice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, though. I love it. I love it. I'm yeah, so glad you did. We, uh, we were planning one of the other episodes earlier this week talking about Reggie Bush's Heisman, right? What are your thoughts on the NCAA taking his Heisman for what's legal right now? By the way, two of the most electrifying people. Yeah, he's, a, he's, 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 he's the best of all time. I mean, what a legend. Like, that was my no, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's yeah, the best had, of all time. We so, had this argument. Um, it was incredible. I mean, for, for my, for, I'm 31, so like my time, my era, it was like, I'll never forget the sideline with that guy, that coach wheeling down the sideline. He cuts all the way back. Like, Going crazy. crazy. The front flip into the end zone. This was like the background on my computer. Like I didn't even like yeah. USC like that. I just liked him. He was and, insane. You know, insane. everybody in the Heisman right now. Um, you know, we're we're kind of like, you know, a little bit of a shift. I feel like you know I've been back probably eight of the last twelve years or something. I really don't miss it that much unless I have something come up. It means something to me, right? And. You know, we're in a shift where, like, a lot of our guys who are old-school legends are getting a little bit older. Like, and we've lost a couple guys, rest in peace. And, like, you know, now the younger guys who are, you know, anywhere from 28 to 45, 55, like, you know, are kind of making a shift on what the future is going to look like of this fraternity, you know? Like, as great as the Heisman Trust is, like, it really is a collection of, the Heisman Trust being so legendary and awesome because they've been around for so long. And then it's all, it's, you know, it's the, it's the winners and it's who puts in the time to make it like great. And we're at a shift right now where some of the like younger guys are riding for Reggie, man. And I brought it up a couple of years ago where I'm like, it just doesn't sit right with me. And, you know, I had, Never really talked to Matt Leinert that much other than a couple times like here and there. And when we sat on the bus and we're going to the ceremony, you know, we talked about this. And then you have Troy Smith and all these guys around that are kind of hearing it. And it like, you know, the ball had already been rolling. But like this, when you bring it up in conversation, it like really makes, you know, an impact on the situation. So, um, you know, we, well, I don't speak for us all, but the majority of us, I believe, or fighting for Reggie to get it back. And what I've been told and what we were all emailed was Reggie can't get his Heisman back because his stats are voided by the NCAA. So they won't give his trophy back until he actually has statistics from 2005. So it's going to take the NCAA reinstating the numbers that he had on that year is what it sounds like. Yeah, because he took a couple bucks, yeah. so his so game it all don't comes back work. to the yeah, NCAA being above the law, and they could just say, all right, this is up They're the judge and the jury, I think bro. It is, I think crazy, it is something that, that maybe the Heisman Trust could do. Um, I know when we, we you know, talked about that a couple of years ago that it, like, wasn't in a place to be able to do it. That was kind of pre-NIL, though. You know, NIL's only been around two years, and, like, I know this yeah. popped up, like, really beginning with the NIL, but, like, how can you take a guy's trophy for what kids are able to do now? Like, it just doesn't. I call him a pioneer. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. And the way they did it was, <laughs> no, the way they sad. did it was so dirty. Like, dirty, bro. Reggie got did, done so dirty that it was like, I mean, respect to him, man. Respect to him for handling it the way that he did, for being the person that he is and, like, yeah. being that guy. Because if that would have happened to me, I would have taken that trophy and fucking hit it. 
<laughs> and I would have taken it to the other side of the world and put it in a museum that nobody could get. And like, I would, like never would you ever get that thing from me. Yeah. And it's just not going to happen. Like, you know, they've made it in a way now to where we don't actually own our trophy. It's on a, like a thousand year lease or something or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you know, so because of people selling them in the past, you're not able to outright own them because they've come into problems with people That's in crazy. the past. And there has been like two or three that have been sold. Damn. And you said your own trophy's at your grandmother's Yeah, it's at my grandma's house. I'm going to finally bring it to... How's Trump? Huh? How's Trump? What's the relationship between your grandma and you want to Great. Trade? I mean, it's, it's great. Like, uh, I don't know. Um, we have two Heisman Trophy winners from my hometown and Tyler, me and Earl Campbell. Okay. So I felt like it would be really bad for the small town in East Texas to have two of the trophies sitting in that town. Yeah, that's he's, fucking he's, uh He's been a great family friend forever. He eats at my grandpa's restaurant all the time and like, I just thought that was dope, you know, like this is where it belongs. So when when I won the Heisman, I brought like twenty five family members. And like we turned that deep uh, like, with that. Still to this day we walk back and they're like, Dude, your family that year was bad and like <laughs> you know right. I'll get a chance to like bring them back and do it again. So family's getting older and like, you know, people aren't gonna be able to do that forever and I wanna have that experience again. But like, you know, it's not just a it's not just a me thing, right? Yeah. It's always a we, never me, mm. is the way I look at it now. And, like, I don't win that trophy without my grandpa throwing a football down the hallway with me, putting me on to, like, big 12 games back in the day. I don't play college football. I go play baseball or something. So, like, there's all these things in life that are part of your story, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whatever it is that make you who you are and where you're going in life. And, like, yeah. my family deserves that trophy as much as I do. Because it wasn't just by me that I got there. Like, Mike Evans has a piece of that trophy. Jake Matthews has a piece of that trophy. C-Mike has a piece. Like, every one of my boys who were there all have a piece of that. They all have a hand in that thing. It's a total team effort to be able to get there to do that. Because if you don't view it that way, you're just wrong. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. No, that's fire. That's real. That's dope, bro. Is that Mike Evans the first ballot? You tell me. Yeah. I mean, he talk about under talk about underrated man, and like it's hard to say underrated, and it's hard to say like disrespected, but like it is. No, for sure, he doesn't get the love that he deserves. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah, from Jameis to Tom Brady to Baker, you can say what you want differently individually about each of those guys. Um, you can look back now and say that Mike Evans maybe might have made Johnny Manziel the person that he is. And I think he definitely did. Like, he's special. He's a special human being. He's a special football player. He's a great dad. He's a great husband. He's a good family person. Like, I love everything about him. I love the way he moves. I think he's the biggest legend that's ever walked the earth in my eyes. That's the way I view him. So, like, you know, just keep doing what he's doing, man. And he's going to have records that nobody's going to touch for the end of time. And then you have no choice but to respect him. And, like, he's going to walk across the stage. I'm going to be there when that gold jacket goes on. And, like, it is stamped. It is going to happen. So, like, prepare for it. Whatever you want to do, but you can't downplay him any longer because he is him. Yeah. For sure. He's different, bro. I've met him a few times, too. He's solid. Solid as they come, bro. He's a 
Dude, he's, I mean, he's, he's so just nice, bro. Man. He's the nicest person ever. And there's one thing about Mike, oh, like, yeah. he's never changed. Yeah. He's only gotten better. Like, when he first got to AM, he was, he was this nice kid, but he still had this Galveston little hood side to him, you know? Like, <laughs> he, he did for sure. Like, of course. And he still carries that with him in a way, and you see it, mm-hmm. but he's very, like, mature about it now and very, like, professional. And, like, he, he takes it serious. And, like, yeah. It's time. He needs another bag, and he's about to re up. And I hope it's. I hope it's not in Tampa. Like they had their chance. They should have paid him, yeah. and they disrespected him the same way that everybody else is. Yeah. I know how that guy works in the building. I know how he is as a person. I know yeah. what Tampa asked from him, not in a like direct sense, yeah. but in a sense of whatever they ask him to do. I know what Mike's like. Yeah, I got you. Done. That's how he's always been. Yeah. So hey, I need a new deal. We're not going to give you a new deal. Okay, cool. I'm going to play this year out, and I'm going to leave. Yeah. And that's what it should be. I hope he sticks to that. Like, I truly do. Like, yeah. you should go to places that respect you for what you are and your worth. No like, you know, we live in a day and age now where, like, especially in the NFL, like, other can bounce around. You can go. Like, you want out, you can get out because nobody wants an unhappy employee like that. So, yeah, I think uh, I would love to see him in Houston. Bro, what, him and CJ? I know he lives there in the offseason. I would love to see him in Houston. They could definitely use a receiver like that. That would be disgusting. That would be baller. That That receiver with those young You got Tank Dell. You got Nico Collins. Baller. Baller. And they can afford him. 100%. They have a lot of money. You got a rookie quarterback on that deal. You can pay him, bro. Rookie of the year. Rookie of the year, baby. That should be crazy. I think that's that a great fit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. Who do you think emulates uh, Johnny Manziel's game? quarterback wise in today's NFL or it doesn't have to be, but like to me personally, I think of like Kyler kind of like, and I don't probably a little bit. I mean, we've always had that style. I think I always like, you know, talking about people you had an impact on, you know, I take no credit for anything that Kyler's ever done. Of course he is a baller and was always going to be, but like, I remember our talks when I was at A&M in 2012 and 2013, I knew that he looked up to me and I knew that he wanted to play like that. And we had similar styles. So like, course me and Kyler are always going to be like just the way you run and the elusiveness and this but like mm-hmm. you know I'm loving what Lamar is doing right now like he's really transformed himself into something that's better than what you know anybody could have really seen I always saw it because I I watched these Louisville games and I knew what it was like Insane. I remember going to his Heisman year and being in that room with his family and his mom and getting a chance to like that was special as hell and he is and you know, I'm I'm really curious now from an NFL standpoint, kind of how some of these young, some of these older guys, quarterback wise, are going to be getting out of there. We've seen it. Like, yeah. there is no more Breeze, there is no more Roethlisberger, there is no more Brady, there is no more Peyton and this and that. Like, you know, Rogers is going to be out of here soon. Like, oh, you're, you're you're you're. It's just like we love him to death, but like, yeah, it's 41. Now. It's he's 41 years old. Like, it's time comes for everybody and. You know, it'll be really interesting, like, to see how these young guys and who takes over and who really, like, steps into the spotlight. I think CJ is going to be a guy that's going to be a problem in the league for a while. Like, you know, I think Tua is going to be a problem for a while. Like, the guy's really, really cold. And I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm not, like, dialed into the game as much, but, like, I do pick my guys that, like, I really enjoy watching. Yeah. And I have coaches that I like from offensive schemes. Like, I love what Mike McDaniels is doing. I love what Shanahan does. Like, 
there's guys I respect and like, and that's the way I view the NFL now. Like, I'll watch a Raider game because you're playing. I don't care about, you know, anything else like that. Like, I like my guys and what it is, and I'll turn on the game for that. I got to ask you this because he's a big Roger fan, and I just want to know because I feel like every quarterback, almost every quarterback I've asked is to, like, one of the guys I looked up to was Brett Favre when I grew up. Like, that's who I want to play like. And you probably say you probably say the same shit. Who do you think? Who would you take, Brett Favre, or Aaron Rodgers? Boom, boom. <laughs> now, now we're talking. Yeah, let's, let's get to nitty gritty. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Brett Favre have one of the biggest like cannons of all. They're two of the most natural throwers of the football like of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even close. Rodgers is a better natural like flicker of the football to be able to get it to where it needs to go. Favre could do it for sure and was the guy. Favre, to me, will always be a bigger legend. I love Aaron. For me, this is like I can't even decide because one (laughs) shaped my whole life growing up. And then when I get to the NFL and you turn on film and you watch what the they were doing and what him and Devontae did, like. Different. Man, like. What a like me and Mike had that bond in college to where you go like wink and it's a route and it's like <laughs> on point and it's yeah. like an option route too that we're not even speaking about just like an unspoken bond so like oh, it's so hard from a legend perspective it's it's far from a football player perspective of like natural flicker of the ball and like like just that guy with ball placement what he did with like the back shoulder game and these routes and this shit is so like legendary from a detail standpoint. Yeah. Yes. He changed. And Favre did that, but like Favre was like even more elusive than Rogers. Like he could, he had like, you know, he had like this back then, like he had his Wrangler jeans on. Yeah. I mean, that (laughs) shit. He was a dog. dog. He was a a true first gunslinger. And all, okay. So it's Favre because I'll always ride and always choose the guy who was a dog in life who like figured it out. Yeah, and like Rogers is not, is not a dog like that. Like he's a he's a dude. He's, a dude, he's not a so. dog. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. That hurt my heart. It's like comparing Vic and Lamar, basically. It's like yeah, going Vic versus okay, Lamar. Yeah, like, Vic's the bigger legend because of he was like. Well, the first Lamar's one, gonna break every Lamar's single one of his records, like that have stood forever, twenty years. Okay, we're not doing that today. Um, Anyway, anyway, we're going to go to the next one. Keeping it Creel. Creel's got six questions for you. He's going to bring them off. Let's do All it. right, first one. If you could run one back, would you start over at A&M or get drafted number one again? I would start over, uh, start over at A&M. It's like a clean, clean-ass slate if you could do one or the other. Start over at A&M or, or be starting in the draft Arizona, again? Yeah. yeah, I'd start in the draft again. Just because I feel like I know what went wrong and I know what I need to like work on. What happened? I'm cool with what happened at AM. Like hell yeah. I regret the second year and the national championship and stuff, but like, you know, I would have, you know, realized the opportunity of what I had to be a good NFL player and I feel like I could have been if I would have got my head out of my ass. Would you would you have gone to Cleveland still? Would you have made the call and said, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, would you have made that call and said, take me? Yeah. Uh, you did make that call, right? You did make that call, right? I mean, it was more of they were texting me throughout the draft where it was like, hey, be patient. Like, we're going to come and get you. So, like, I had a weird feeling when that draft list came out. Like, Browns were at, like, fourth, like, the fourth pick and the 26th. 
just based off odds. If one team has two picks in the first round, it's just double the chance that they might take you and they needed a quarterback. Like it was yeah. very known that they were going to take a quarterback and like, yeah. you know, Shanahan and me had a good relationship throughout the uh, pre-draft stuff. So like, you know, I knew it was a very high possibility, but like, was that my first choice? No. Is it different when you got into the building? Sorry, Krill. No. For you, when you got in the building with Shanahan, you had that relationship. You said, was it? Did it change at all when you stepped foot in there? I mean, I got behind. Like I mentally got behind because I hadn't taken snaps under center, and I, my offense at A&M was like looking at DNs and linebackers. We were not looking at rotation safeties. Like I didn't know the game in that kind of way. Yeah. I knew the game is like, you know, our air raid offense was not like, it's just completely different. So like, you know, long play calls and this and play fakes and under center and seven steps drops. Like I was behind before I ever even got started. And then when the mental lacking came from like, you know, what's an over front, what's an under, what's this? What man? He's head up. It's a bear front. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Just snap the ball. Yeah, no. Dude, this is real though. No, it's real. Bro, this is like, and then like, put me in shotgun and snap yeah, that motherfucker. Yeah, run work. four verticals and tell them to stop. Yeah, like, yeah. Drop out if the motherfucker's bailing. Do me. They're like, you can't fuck. do that, man. Darrell Revis is over there. So you really only have one side of the field. I'm like, fuck Darrell. No. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like, yeah. yeah, he's that good. Like, where we can't even throw it over there, bro. They're like, you mean? They're like hey, yes, that guy is better than our guy, so yes. we can't go to that matchup. Yeah. I'm like, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I know that feeling. Hey, when you get five wide and you're spreading them like that, and you're not taught that in college necessarily, yeah, but then you got him. I know. And if you don't have a Joe Thomas, what the f- are you gonna do with that? Amen, bro. I need a Tight end to chip. Slide and chip. Tight end and a back. <laughs> slide and chip. And then they know that. So when I run two jet protection, I slide four that way, they're just going to drop him. Yeah. And bring two you know, from the left. Yeah. And then you don't know you're hot anymore. Yeah. yeah I mean, no what the thought. fuck is a hot yeah, route? No, yeah. My hot route in AM was run. <laughs> Mike, go. Okay, there's, okay a free there. there's a free rusher coming. God, every right. time. Hot, hot that. Like, hot the, that's hot. The reverse. One of the <laughs> mics down there somewhere. Yeah, yeah uh, same. Mike is just doing this, <laughs> putting his head hand on this guy's head, like just little boy. Yeah. All right, number two, go. Yeah, best game day atmosphere. College on Saturday, NFL on Sunday. Oh, it's college on Saturday by a billion. Hundred <laughs> percent. If you could be the number one QB or the top ranked golfer in, in the world, which would you choose? Top ranked golfer. Part three or part five? Part five. Drake or Lil Wayne? Damn. We, Drake's the best artist of all time. Yeah, Breeze, let him answer the question. <laughs> hey, this is the same, Roger. This is the same. This yeah. is the exact same. Mike, Mike, Both. Lil Wayne. Okay. There would be no Drake without Lil Wayne. So, like, that's the way I always view it. Lil Wayne shaped my life for music forever. Like, sixth, seventh grade, just walking down the hallway with his headphones on, just jamming. Like, Drake's the go. I mean... They're they're different, right? One is like a true, true rapper. Yeah. Not that Drake's not. Drake's yeah. an artist. But Drake is so musically talented as a whole. <laughs> he should have never asked that he question. He isn't allowing you to take a little bit of the broken. He's going to turn the broken hyping him up. So your actual answer was, bro, oh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess. Don't you? Don't you? And then being in Vegas, um, Super Bowl week, blackjack or roulette? Baccarat. 
Ooh. I figured that was coming. <laughs> yeah. Bro, I've never played. I'm a roulette kind And of why guy. do you like that over the other two? The you odds? get to touch the cards. I think the odds are a little bit better. I've been playing blackjack for, you know, since I turned 21. Um, and just the decks and how many cards. And, like, you can have your system in your way. And, sure, you can get in a shoe. But, like, to really win money, it takes betting, like, aggressively and consistently. And, like, Ammo. You know, I'm down. Over half a million in Vegas already, which is why I can come here on Super Bowl weekend and still stay for free <laughs> forever. <laughs> come on down, and Johnny. I was like, the blackjack is just like so, like it's a swinging it's game. Crazy. Like gambling's all swing. So like baccarat, you know, I feel like I have more luck at it. I feel like there's a way to kind of read the flow of what the cards are, and like there ain't no flow when you're getting 15s and 16s showing to you all day, 13, 14, 15, 16 in face, and you're out. Like, that just to me isn't any fun. Like, I'd rather go headbutt that wall over there than do that shit. <laughs> oh, like, Baccarat can go bad, but, like, I enjoy the way that it goes to where you can pull another card and you're, like, really in it until you're not. And, like, I have way less bad beats on the Baccarat table than I do, like, on a blackjack table where they show three, five, and there's, you know, seven eight cards, card, 21. 27 card, yeah, 21 is like, once again, headbutt the wall. Like, yeah, I yeah. just can't do it anymore. And like, I'll play roulette, but my stand of my roulette thing is probably like walking by a table and feeling it and like putting my hand out <laughs> and being like, uh, it feels that's hot. It. Yeah. That's <laughs> red. Like I ain't betting on red. I'm only betting on black. And then like my roulette is like, if I have, you know, if I have chips that don't equal a thousand, it would be like nine hundred bucks. Like to me, in my mind, that's like it's gonna sound bad, but because it's not a thousand dollar chip, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just hey, yeah, individual yeah. chips. Yeah. So I'm gonna go to the roulette table. I'm gonna put five hundred on black. And I'm gonna go find four numbers. Yeah. And I'm gonna hit that for sure. Yeah. Then if we double up on the five hundred, we get a thousand dollar chip. Then I feel like I'm rich yeah <laughs> i love that I couldn't watch the super bowl until i went back to the roulette table yesterday yeah. for that exactly he had like 200 so. bucks he's like what the fuck am i doing with 200 bucks i'm not the guy who can go get the chips and do the numbers uh, and play the middle of the see, board i'll play i'll play though. like um one of the thirds oh, yeah. so i'll take first or yep. second or like pick one of those and like yep. you know double your money like that but like 12 to the yeah, 13 yeah, 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 you gotta yeah, do yeah, like yeah. the cross Strategic. on the numbers yeah so like I ain't betting double zeros. I'm not betting zero. I'm not betting green ever. Like if it comes, like that's like buying insurance on blackjack. Never, <laughs> never, never heard of her. And if you have an ace showing, take even money and get the f out of there. If you have twenty one, yeah. like have to. The only thing I do that's like a little bit different. And I've hit it so many times that like I'm okay with the double as long as it's not like over five k. Is I'll double hard twelve a lot. <laughs> Like, depending on the feel and the flow of the table and how the shoe's going and that eight and nine for me pops a lot and like just the way i fucking play like, like so you heard it here first if i got a, if i have a thousand dollars down i got a 12 and they have a six showing i'm or, or no not a six a seven or eight you know, i won't really do it if like if it's a 1920 like if, if it's something like that if it's a nine or, or face showing but like definitely if they're showing seven or eight and I have a two, I, I'm going to take one anyway, mm -hmm. I'll double it. And, like, you know, it could be a, it could be a seven, and we get to 19. Like, we're getting into some, like, you know, and for me, like, <laughs> murky water. Yeah. That's the way, that's the way I play it. And people will look at me, and they'll look at this and be like, what a f idiot. <laughs> but I've walked to that 
engaged too many times yeah, with the yeah. double on the hard 12. And I think I like it because when you do it, the dealer looks at you like you're crazy. And she <laughs> goes, are you sure? I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then she goes, double hard 12. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, here we go. And, I love it. and if the 10 comes, the 10 comes, I was going to bust anyway. Like, it's gambling. Yeah, and like, there is a way to play it. And you do have to be strategic. But, like, I'm not the square, right? I'm the real. Like, I'm, I'm the rare breed of, like, I like what I like. And this is what it's going to be. And I'm going to do it this way. And if you don't like it. We'll talk to a wall. I like that. Die on your own sword. Yeah, bro. Like, it's, it's me. And like, you know this more than anybody. It's like a great place to And Like at the end of the day, it is you in the mirror versus you. And like, you're yeah. battling yourself. And that's what it comes down to. All these boys that are here with you right now will hopefully always be with you till the end of time. Yeah. But there's going to be times where he's busy and he's gone and this and all these things are happening. And when you're sitting there and you walk into your bedroom and you look in the mirror, like you only have you. Like you have your family and you have this and they can do things for you and they can help you and they can make your life easier, but they can't live life for you. Yeah. And like when it comes down to it, it's you and you and you have to find out what works for you. And like, that's just what, it, that's just what it is. That's real. I mean, he said it best, it's you versus you. Said all the time. At the end of the day, I write that shit in my notebook every single day. You versus you. Versus you. 1%, like all that it's ingrained yeah, in my head. It sounds cliche, bro. It sounds like, corny. It's, it's not. We're not squares over here, so don't <laughs> play with me either. So that's all we got. That's Johnny Manziel, the legend. Um, I appreciate the shit out of you, yeah, brother. Bro, that was one of the dopest conversations. Of course, we appreciate bro, it, brother. Of course, bro. That's all we got this week on The Rush. We love y'all. Yeah, I'm really him. Talking about night. I'm really him.